everyone. Welcome to America Can We Talk. Thank you so very much for tuning in on our special Thursday shows. Love these Thursday shows. Thursdays are dedicated to an interview with one person or sometimes two people, but one topic. The entire show is about that topic. And today we're very honored and excited that we have joining us Katherine Engelbrecht. And for those of you who don't recognize the name, I'm shocked, but she is, was the founder of True the Vote, which is a group based in, te in uh, Houston, Texas. They started out as King Street Patriots, became True the Vote, and essentially they've been around since 2010 or 2011, an activist organization essentially trying to bring about act honest elections, bring about elections that have integrity, uh, make sure that the processes are followed so that Americans get the result they're supposed to get from their elections. Catherine Engelbrecht's research uh, was provided, is what based, was the basis for the film that was out this past week and just made a, um, a lot of headway, a lot of, um, got a lot of media attention, um, created by Dinesh D'Souza. He was a filmmaker, but information from Catherine Engelbrecht and True the Vote called 2000 Mules. And the movie essentially focuses on what happened during the 2020 election and the apparent placing of mountains of mail-in ballots uh, in the uh, Zucker boxes or mail-in ballot boxes placed, especially in the five swing states that pretty much determine the election, and the numbers of ballots brought to those boxes by a small number of people with a big handful of ballots stuffing them in. And the film, if you haven't seen it yet, I can't recommend you strongly enough that you see it, but the film really calls into question uh, if you weren't already calling into question the outcome of the 2020 election. So welcome to the show, Katherine Engelbrecht. Hey there, hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> They're already happy to see you, as you can hear. I guess you can hear that clapping. They're so happy to see you. <laughs> I'm happy to see you. And I have to tell you that this film, now my husband and I did go see it, and the theater was so packed, we weren't even late, I swear, that we had to sit really at like almost like the second row back where you never want to sit because you're really close to the screen. It was a, I mean, people were very excited to be there. So first, I just want to compliment you and your team on creating 2,000 Mules. Oh, thanks, oh, thanks so, so much. much. It's, uh, it's been quite an adventure. Well, that's what I want to dive in and talk about. I got thinking about this today, um, about 2,000 Mules, and obviously you're featured in the film, which I love to see, um, as is Dinesh and, and, and his wife, Debbie, uh, and also your uh, colleague, Greg Phillips. And so I mentioned, as I'm introducing you, that you've been active in essentially trying to get election integrity uh, front and center in America for 10 years or more maybe 12 years. And before we get too far into it, Greg Phillips, because he was key in your research, can you tell us what his background is? Sure, Greg has had 30 years, maybe 40 years, in um, broadly in what, what we now are calling election intelligence, but he's worked on behalf of uh, a variety of, of, of backers, I guess, uh, both in foreign elections and here in the, in the States, ma managing and running campaigns and um, just has a really, uh, a really clear knowledge of how, how the sort of how the sausage is made in elections and um, the ability to, and then we, we own a technology company together. And so the ability to um, have his background and understanding of election intelligence and then the recognition of, of technology that's available, uh, data that's available, it all just sort of came together in a way that made a lot of sense to bring him in for the project. Well, I just loved it, and I gave it the briefest of summaries of what the film uh, discloses, but it essentially has a lot of film footage of people. I, it tells a story, but it has film footage of people arriving 
stacks of ballots in their hands, uh, usually at night, and only because surveillance cameras were there, they picked up dropping ballots in and often walking away, peeling off their gloves and putting them in the trash. So I want to back up and just though, so that the film is riveting and, and, and very compelling. I want to back up though, how you got started, did, the, did your idea about tracking what happened with the mail-in ballots, did you come to that idea uh, immediately after the election of 2020 or even before the election of 2020, you're watching the mail-in ballot, which everyone was concerned would be the basis for fraud. When did you first think of the idea of trying to, to figure out what was going on with the mail-in ballots? Well, early in 2020, True the Vote was already, we were suing states and trying to get out in front of the unconstitutional changes that states were making to the election processes, like removing signature verification standards, sending out email, I mean, sending out mail ballots to active and inactive voters, uh, you know, and all manner of things. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits. So seeing all of that, we knew, okay, this is a recipe for disaster. This is planned. They are going to attempt to exploit every possible vulnerability. And then, you know, in the, in, I'd have to look back at the calendar, but at some point, it feels like around in the summer, late summer, we learn of these absentee ballot drop boxes that are now going to be put out all over the place, uh, compliments of CTCL and funded by Mark Zuckerberg. And immediately we knew if there is going to be a subversion of process, it's going to happen at that at that point, at that breakdown, because you cannot put that many. You, you, we already have chronically inaccurate voter rolls. You put that many mail ballots based upon faulty data coming coming out into these drop boxes that are not well regulated. That's that's going to be the problem. So we we we, rec we were recognizing early on that that is the likely area to look but how to look at it is really where we where we found you know the sort of the what became so compelling in the movie is thinking about okay well what what can we use that is tracking what how can we get it how can we get ahead of this and then ultimately how can we look back in time which is ultimately what we did and that was of course the cell phone tracking data I just love this. So the tracking I, I know you're uh, because I assume Greg Phillips maybe others in your team have that kind of savvy is the tracking data you could come up with. It was using the cell phones pinging off of cell towers. Is that information that is not just uh, created at the time it happens, but normally as, as a matter of normal process, retained for months and years so you could go back at any date and look to see? It's, it, it is retained for years, but I wanna make a very important distinction about the data that we used because we didn't use the, the um, older technology, which is pinging off of cell phone towers. That's not nearly accurate enough for what we were trying to accomplish. Um, what we used was um, marketing data or ad key data uh, that is inherent within your phone based upon the apps you use. And so uh, if, if you, uh, anybody in your audience that wants to, to, to try this, you can type into your phone, like you're gonna make a phone call, type star pound zero six pound and you will get up comes and, and hit start like you're making a phone call and you will get the numbers that come up that that uh, are inherent within your phone that are encoded in your phone that, that assign your phone a unique device id that tags into every signal that your apps send up into the ether about where you are, who you're with, what you're looking at, how often you use the apps, and so on and so forth. 
So all of that gets bundled and sold by intermediaries that are using it for a variety of purposes. They use it for marketing products. They use it in law enforcement to track people and to identify um, participants in crimes. Um, it's, it's what was used in the January 6th um, indictments. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's very exacting data. And so our thought was, uh, identify the areas that we want to purchase data from or, or the areas that, that we wanted to target for this, this project and then acquire that data. So that's what we did is 10 trillion cell phone signals and um, started the process of, of grinding through the data to ultimately get to, uh, to where we landed. You know, that was you, my next question, because I had read about the distinction between cell phones using just the cell phone signal pinging versus the apps, which are more precise, which many of us experience when you, uh, when you go anywhere and all of a sudden you get a notice of oh, something in my phone, something told them, wow, she must really like shopping at this store or for this product. It's breathtaking. So you're using this data that is being emitted by the cell phone's apps and purchasing that, but that is volumes of data. I mean, you even if you narrow down and say, well, this area where there is a, a Zucker box or these particular areas, that's just mountains of data that you had to purchase, even honed down. So how do you go through all that? And what do you do? So, so you're exactly right. It was, I think, 25 or 27 terabytes of data was the first purchase. It was massive. Now, the team that Greg worked with, I want to be very clear, they didn't just stumble into this knowledge. I mean, th these are trained analysts that are very proficient in working with uh, geospatial data. So um, it was it was the finesse of the data from renowned experts, coupled with our understanding of the process of elections. And so the way that that originally sort of crossed was in the geofencing of drop boxes. What that means is you create sort of a digital fence, uh, sort of, around a, a specific location, longitude, latitude, and what, you know, that was for us was the, the drop boxes. So the, the calculus became how many times does a unique device go through, cross through this, this fence? And you start by sort of at the top of the funnel, you have all of your data, and then um, you continue to run cycles upon cycles upon cycles to find out um, with increasing levels of accuracy, how often certain devices are going through uh, the, the geocoded fences around these privately funded drop boxes. Um, once you winnow it down, you get to a, you get to a place where, and, and be very clear, I didn't do this. So I'm only speaking as, as far as the secondhand knowledge of how it works and my being involved in the QC and in thinking through um, any issue that we might have anticipated could come up that would that would give us a less than precise, accurate outcome. So with that said, um, we looked at the entire population, cell phones, I mean, millions and millions and millions of cell phones, and how often they went through these geofences. Ultimately, those become algorithms that you can you can become more and more precise in your data uh, and, in, and in your analysis. And you get to a you get to a point where we kept saying, okay, well, let's just look at, at phones that went to three or more drop boxes, phones that went to four or more, five or more, and and we but the numbers were still so large that we thought it was just 
that can't be the only thing we examine. We've got to be able to call this down more tightly. And that's when we started looking for um, other patterns based upon some things that we had been told by uh, whistleblowers and, and witnesses in a couple states. They had suggested, you know, make sure you're in, you're considering these nonprofit organizations because that is a nexus to all of it. So we started to say, well, okay, are there patterns? Are there, do these cell phones go to both drop boxes and nonprofit organizations? And lo and behold, they did. And so that's what we that's what we started to establish as our thresholds. And and once you began to put in both of those variables, the the nonprofit organizations and the drop boxes. The, the lines became very, very clear. You had sort of, if you think about everything being in a bell curve, you had the, the bulk of the population falling right in that middle. And then you had way on the other end, this, this very aberrant outlier type pattern that was so unlike the patterns of, of others that you could, you could really set aside a group and go, okay, now what's going on with this group? From there, we began to look at, okay, well, did that group follow those same paths prior to early election, post early election? Is this a pattern they would normally travel or did it only happen during the early election periods or in the case of Georgia during the runoff? Um, and then we began to look at time. When did, they, when did they travel in these paths? So, and then ultimately we began to be able to supplement some of it with the video. So all of that together just became, you know, as I, as I described it, sort of further and further and further down the funnel until we, we finally got to a place of confidence that the, the, the devices involved were truly behaving in ways that warrant further investigation. First, before I, I go on to the uh, litany of questions I have, I really want to commend your tenacity because I think so many, I mean, millions of Americans watched the last election cycle. They watched, you know, the great popularity of President Trump. Whether you love him or hate him, very great popularity, uh, zero, essentially, campaign events for the entire Biden team, and yet an overwhelming outcome claiming that he got more, he, Biden, got more votes than any president in American history. And, and just, it didn't pass the smell test for many people. But to go from that frustration or uh, to say, we're going to dive in and figure out how it, it is ingenious. And one quick thing, the information you looked at that's, that's com coming off the apps and the phones, this is publicly available, purchasable information, correct? It's not, right? Ab ab absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you have this data and then you've got to decide, you've got to go back because the you, you all, your organization did not put the cameras in place. So this is going back to existing security footage owned, I assume, by the municipality or maybe a private entity to, to time it with the data you could see from the phones. Is, is that, tell me how that worked. Right. So we, we only used the, the uh, video surveillance footage that came off of the drop boxes in the counties and the jurisdictions in which we were um, evaluating these patterns. And so you know, unfortunately, that video was scarce. There was, um, you know, we still, I think we're at this point, we're up to like 5 million minutes of video, but even still, um, that's a fraction of what the total video availability should be. Um, the cameras weren't great. Uh, many of them weren't even positioned in a way that you could see the, the intended purpose of, of, of having it at all, which was to look at what was going on with the Dropbox. So there, you had to sift through a lot of that. 
but um, but ultimately you come up with uh, some some key indicators uh, that do show okay well this is this this timestamp matches what we had in our geospatial data and you know you can see for yourself and show it in the movie um, you know the behavior uh, with in fact people that were going and putting in multiple ballots so that's where we you know that's that's what we've been doing for the last 15 I guess now 16 months we're still doing it and um, you know we were very quiet for a very long time uh, about what we were working on and we also knew that we might be wrong we you know we could go very very deep into this research and then realize oh there really aren't any patterns and that would have been you know noteworthy as well but that's just it's not what happened we, we found what we found and you know now it's we think incredibly important that America knows so that we can better prevent this in the future. Uh, absolutely vital that America sees. This was kind of, for some people who really, uh, who assumed all of the clamor about election fraud really was coming from people who happened to be strong Trump supporters and couldn't believe their guy lost and didn't weren't really the mathematical type people who would get drawn in and assess all the algorithm methods or the uh, algorithms created by other people questioning the 2020 election. This is visual. I mean, the, even just, the, not just the film is visual, but the picture in your head of, oh, this is how, what was, what was done. So they move these things around. Uh, you you use the term mules in your title, which I like, very clever, but basically it's referring to the people picking up these piles of ballots and bringing them to the ballot box. You set a really high threshold for who would be counted in your tally in a mule. Just tell us what that threshold was. Sure, it was a minimum of, well, it varied a little bit state to state. So, and I don't want to get this wrong, but as generally, and I'll just use Georgia as an example, the minimum threshold was five nonprofit organizations and 10, a minimum of 10 absentee ballot drop boxes. But then as you look at the 242 devices that we identified, the average number of drop boxes that those devices went to was 24. So it's, a, it's really high. And, and that was intentional. And that's also why we know that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, absolutely. And it was a very uh, much to your credit in terms of wanting what you were presenting to be conveyed seriously, to, to realize people, they have to recognize there's a consequence. There's a reality and a consequence of this. So you have all this information. Um, and so now I assume when you have these mules, you, you say you have data. You have cell numbers for them. Their phone numbers. Well, well, what you have is the what's called the IMEI or the or the ad key that that distinguishes that phone uniquely. And so it, it comes in a in an anonymized form. Um, there are many ways just online open source that you can establish the phone number that that goes with that IMEI. But this is where it gets really interesting, because um, according to the Supreme Court, in order to use this kind of data in law enforcement, they must keep the data or they must receive the data anonymized and then request the de-anonymization of the data from the cell phone companies. So they unmask the, the numbers and then work the, the investigation that way. So it's, this, it's, it's a balance. Um, we wanna make sure that we're not doing anything to get ahead of investigations, but there is that step that they have to take that civilians don't have to. And that's, you know, that's just the facts. That's what's out available online about any of us. So how much interest have you managed to gin up among law enforcement, district attorneys, and investigating authorities now that the film is out? 
Well, you know, a whole lot more in the past week, I'll tell you that much. Um, you know, we, we, when the full story is told, sort of the making of 2000 Mules and the making of this project, um, you know, Greg and I look at each other all the time and say, just you, you wouldn't, you, you can't believe, you can't make this stuff up. We started out by presenting our first findings and our first data set to the, the Federal Bureau of Investigations because we thought that that was the most appropriate first step to take so that in the future, as we continued to roll through these states, there would be a provenance of the data. There would always be a chain of custody and, and you would know where to get the data and the states could go. That was our thought. I mean, you know, we're just trying to check the right boxes. And so from that, we began to work through the individual states. And and it's it's strange because, you know, Georgia is the state that we've been working in the longest. And uh, we presented our, our original data set to them over a year ago. Um, we're making great progress in other states. I mean, there's slow progress there. We're making great progress in Arizona and now working uh, with uh, law enforcement in Wisconsin. Hope we have great hope for Michigan and Pennsylvania, our other two states. But but now we're hearing from, um, I mean, everybody from sheriffs to AGs all over the country saying this was the catalyst we needed to be able to move forward in our investigations and thinking about the way you did things, we're going to apply that locally. And so, you know, the, the fact that this is that this has is having a ripple effect beyond just the jurisdictions that we studied is incredibly rewarding. Oh, it's exciting and rewarding. You told a story, and I, I, some other interview I heard that you had done uh, related to Georgia. And honestly, that was the um, one state where there was great suspicion uh, about the election. And so I wish we could just recount you presented some information uh, to Governor Kemp's office and the Georgia Bureau mm -hmm. of Investigation. Tell us how that went. Well, um, Greg went with uh, some associates from the True the Vote team, and they presented the data. And we thought, you know, it, 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 it's just ironic now you look back because we really thought at that point, we're going to give them what we have and then we're, we'll be done because that's enough for them to start an investigation. It was before we had video or anything like that, but still the data was, I mean, the, the geospatial data is, is widely considered digital DNA. It's like a digital fingerprint. It's even more exacting than the surveillance footage. So, so we thought that that would be enough. Well, they're that we were wrong. Uh, they played this sort of game of cat and mouse for, I guess, seven months. Um, wouldn't meet with us again, continued to sort of give these sort of cryptic, like we don't have jurisdiction to do this, but we, but yet we had been told that that was the proper route. And, and so ultimately it wasn't until uh, the end of September when President Trump came to Georgia and name checked through the vote as being you know active in Georgia and, and working on this, this, this research. And um, the following week, the head of the GBI wrote a letter and released it to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, just excoriating us. Just, you know, there's nothing there. There's nothing to look at. This is all, you know, worthless. And um, we, and also of note, went into the metadata, like the like sort of the background of the database and pulled out the names of the analysts and then included those names, which, which is like, why would you do that? But he included those names and then he releases this to the press. So we, we go back and forth. We you know, write back and correspond to them and, and so forth. But at that point, we knew, okay, that GBI is never going to happen. And now the only option we have is to 
go through the Secretary of State, which which we initially weren't so sure of, but we we filed our complaints and we filed them in November of uh, 2021. And it took until January for us to really hear anything back. But at that point, um, uh, Secretary Brad Raffensperger came forward and said, you know, based upon credible evidence, we're going to open up these investigations. And so it's been a it's been a very slow um, process, uh, very frustrating. Um, honestly, it's 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 more than a little confounding. Like, why do we? We're just a, sm a small nonprofit. Why why do we have to solve the crime and, and and give it to you for for you to you know make a headline with? You need to do the investigation. Start get started. And um, you know, it's just it's it's been it's been tough. It's been tough in Georgia. There's a lot of political animus. There's a lot of uh, people that want to move on and say, no, this was truly the most secure election ever. But you, you know, just look at the video. It clearly wasn't. Um, look at the lack of video. It clearly wasn't. Look at the lack of chain of custody. It, I, I mean, all of these enormous gaping holes um, in their storyline uh, don't support the security of an election. And so why they would take a position to not at least look at it when America wants answers, I, you know, is, 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 I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I just know that we're going to keep pressing on. Well, I'm glad you are. I'm so grateful for you. And actually, it's not really that confound. It's confounding to say the least, but it's actually incriminating. Not of any one yeah. person you just said, but if you're presented with that kind of evidence and your first thought is, how can I mock the people who present it to me or undermine them in some right. way or belittle them? It, it's incriminating step to take. It's like I, I just want to shut you down, silence you. I mean, you right. don't have to agree. That's how I see it. It's just well, no, I, I I do agree because I mean I think you know think about think about the t the period of time that we were going through. Headlines were being made on a hourly basis with new findings and you know of, of all manner, and we didn't say a word in good faith. We continued to try to keep our heads down and and believe that you know the process would would kick in and um you know did and did additional work along the way as we address in the movie that we thought that you know the showing good faith in cases that we had understood uh were being um were look they were looking for more information in certain like murder cases we provided information there we were just trying to be uh good citizens and um you know they 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 chose to make it very very political which is really which is really hard really hard to uh stomach. I'm sure it was. And I did not go into the history of True the Vote, but I mentioned introducing you that you had uh, started True the Vote. And you were, this is 10 years ago or, or more, when you began just making basic observations, expressing concerns, uh, having the then Obama administration engage in, uh, I mean, I guess they would, they would characterize it as just doing their job, but it really was pretty fierce uh, attacking of you and your organization uh, because they seem to be saying the message, stop talking about election fraud, stop pointing out problems. So you've, you've been a, a valiant patriot really for over a decade. I, I really commend that a lot. I think it would be easier to close shop, go home and, you know, I don't know, open a nail salon instead, instead of <laughs> staying in the fight. I love that you stayed in the fight. Okay. So I do want to have um, a bit about the pattern these mules went on. And um, before I do this, I'll say very quickly, for our radio listeners, you're going to go off to a break shortly. I want to tell you that your Bob and the Hour break is about three minutes. 
I'm sorry to say we're going to keep on talking without you, but don't go away. Come right back after a three-minute break. We'll be right here talking to Catherine Engelberg. Okay, so back to what this mule's pattern. It wasn't, I want to have you, it's a little more of what the movie said, then I have many more questions, but the mules, it wasn't just uh, one drop box. It was following patterns you could observe because of the geospatial data you had. So, I mean, I know you, you came up with 2,000 mules, but do you have any ballpark estimate how many more people there really were engaged in this at, the, at that time, or is that just too hard? It's, it's not that it's too hard. It's just it, it you know, anytime you, you start to lean on extrapolations, it gets less and less certain. And in a, you know, in a time where everything is, is fact-checked and, and it's already difficult enough to have a conversation about this topic, which is just radioactive, um, you know, while we, while we do, and in the movie, we do a, a bit of that extrapolation of saying, you know, what if we lower the thresholds from 10 to five or from five ballots drop per stop to three? And, and, and we play with those numbers, but those are very much extrapolations. Um, you know, the, I'll give you some other examples. Um, you know, you had to meet the threshold. Let's just, again, stick with Georgia, a minimum of 10 uh, drop boxes and five organizations. Well, let's just say you went to 100 drop boxes, but only three organizations. Well, you would not make our study. Let's say that you went to um, five organizations, but only to USPS mailboxes. You wouldn't make our study. So there's so many um, ways in which this process could be, or the research could be extended. But we, we just did everything we could to stay focused on what we had. Um, how, how much is really out there and how, how pervasive this really is, you know, it's God willing law enforcement, the you know, federal agencies will get involved. I mean, that would be great to, to really take a hard look at what is happening to uh, what we can all, I think, agree is the cornerstone of a representative republic. Uh, this, what is more important than securing your elections? Clearly, when half the country is concerned about uh, what happened and, and the legitimacy of elections, it seems to me that this would be a worthy endeavor to go deeper, to ask these tough questions, but whether or not they'll do it remains to be seen. Yeah, and you know, uh, this is not the kind of um, fraud uh, about which your, uh, your movie was addressing, but the electronic election voting fraud, the answer of the people who are being, uh, the organizations uh, apparently involved being accused, their answers of just refusal to give access to their routers, to their servers, to whatever it is. It, it is like a, it, it, this problem of election um, integrity is, is much bigger than just what you did. The, the mules is an enormous, and I say it's visual. It helps people understand. Electronics have a whole other piece, which your research doesn't get to at all. Yours is just about the mules and the, and the mail-in ballots. And, you know, I heard there, some... No doubt. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, people who look at this have said, well... Nothing that you came up with proved what those ballots contained. I mean, maybe those were all Trump supporters who were just stuffing mail-in ballots in. And so really, you know, Biden won by even more and the, and the Trump vote count was overcounted. I mean, nothing you have in your research enables you to say which way this swayed the election. You know, we, we have people that have come forward and have indicated, you know, what party they were supporting and, and when ballots were turned in blank, how those ballots were being marked. But our, our greater point was that the fraud of process 
the the institutionalization of fraud is is what is that is at issue. Um, the the fact of the matter is, once those ballots are cast and then separated ultimately from their security envelopes, you're never going to know. But the abuse of a of a, of, a, of an of an idea of harvesting and helping voters. Um, that's just, it's a farce. That is a way to target vulnerable communities, to play the odds with inaccurate voter rolls, to be in prime position when mass mail-outs of ballots occur and making sure that those ballots never reach their intended destination. And those are all the kinds of stories that we heard and, and chronicled along the way in our, in our efforts with this movie and with our research. Um, so to answer your question, no, you're, you're never going to know the ballot is secret. But all indications, all signs point to far left activity. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, honestly, I'm trying to, yeah, okay, wait until our, our radio listeners are back. I wanted to play a, a video you put out on Instagram. Uh, I think we, Mr. Emilio, I believe we have that ready. Uh, this was a, because what people want to know is, when are you going to spill all the beans? But I first want to have uh, him, Emilio, please play that clip that I sent to you. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. Reaching a barrage of false claims of fraud and corruption. Why is it always conservatives who seem to get censored? All right, what do you want to do? Release it all. The, the video, the data, all of it. Make it all public. The world needs to see this. Okay, well, we've already built a plan. And I knew you would. So uh, how long is it going to take? Um, give me a few weeks. I'm leaving right now. Wait for my mark. Then we will pull the record. Okay, that's really good. Really good. I do want to, before I get into this, what, what am I going to find things out? People want to be involved, and maybe now more than ever because they saw what you did. So they can go to truethevote.org and sign up. And what, what can they sign up to get or do if they go to True the Vote? So right now, what they're going to sign up to get is more information. We're communicating primarily through email. Um, we are. We've just opened up a a locals channel on Rumble that will be um, a, a sort of a, an advanced or more in-depth way to, co to communicate and, and do live events and so forth. But uh, in Facebook, we're, we're still um, active there, although, you know, apparently shadow banned or whatever. We're not really on any other social platform. Um, but what they can get is information, not just about the ongoing um, advancement of the movie and, and the results of investigations, but uh, we have a couple, a couple of projects that are coming online, one that's already online. For example, uh, we have a web app called IV3. And if you can go to our website and look at this, IV3, or you can just check it out directly, IV3.us. And it is an app that we built to help citizens take a look at their local voter rolls. And there are processes that allow citizen voters to challenge ineligible records. And... Um, that was one of the things that we 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 know is the gateway to these problems are inaccurate roles. So IV3 is an example of what you might uh, look forward to when working with True the Vote. 
Um, we are also planning on, or early next week, announcing um, a call to action to try to retrieve any available surveillance footage that uh, we've not yet picked up. You know, we, we focus just in our main jurisdictions, but there's a 22-month window that all municipalities are supposed to uh, maintain the video. So that, that window's closing here in a few months. We need to collect as much as we can for the fullest body of evidence that, that we can possibly pull together. So it's um, that these, these types of projects and then ongoing information uh, that at the end of the day is really gonna, we believe, make, a, make, it, make the difference between whether our process just erodes past, past the point of, of uh, salvation or if, if, you know, if we pull it back together. I'm very optimistic that people are awake and we're gonna pull it back together. We hope to be a big part of that. I'm optimistic about that too, and I think it's very important to remain that way. I think that I, I do think that much of the fraud that occurred in twenty in the year twenty twenty, I truly believe people behind it, and it's not just one group or one person, but most of them thought we'll just basically steamroll this and when any complaints come about election fraud, we'll shut them down, we'll silence them. I think the perpetrators of the various forms of fraud did not anticipate the pushback that diligent citizens like you and others engaged in, just not taking lies for an answer. So your data, you have all the surveillance. You actually know who these NGOs are also. You know these organizations that were essentially stash houses for the mail-in ballots, correct? Correct. Well, or, or I could just say this is what the patterns suggest. We are being very cautious, and even as we have filed complaints in, in the, these handfuls of states um, and, and working with law enforcement, we are being very cautious uh, about saying, this is what the patterns show. You do the research. We are not a law enforcement agency. We can't offer any immunity. We, we are not being offered any immunity for what we're doing. We want to be very thoughtful about how we present this because we are in an age of lawsuits and you know the the idea of of, of having this be misrepresented in a way is is a, something that we're very cautious about uh, but on the other hand we're very optimistic about being able to release all of the data so that America can see what we saw and there are a lot of people that you know i mean even though it is a specialized skill set to do the type of research that we did uh, the data is the data, and there are other people out there that are going to have similar impact, uh, similar findings, maybe more, certainly likely more, because you know they will already have known kind of how we how we put the initial uh, hypothesis together. So um, you know that's that's kind of where we are. Is tr we're trying to be very mindful of how to take this the distance without getting shut down, and and it is a headwind the entire the entire way. It's it's been. It's been tough. I'm sure it's tough. I just, I'm sorry if this is, you can just say I already answered that, but what information you have, do you have that you're, as someone you pull the ripcord when you release, what is it that people might be able to expect that you're going to release? All the video, which, which, and let me be really, really clear. I mean, I wish I could pull the ripcord today, but we have so much video and it's all the way you get this from, from the counties, at least in most instances, is you get it on these little hard drives and they're all different kinds of readers. And you, you, we've got to normalize all of this and, and, cr and create an environment that people can come and, and actually look at the video without going through, you know, 15 months of, of labor like we have. So, so it's going to take time. It's also a tremendous amount of video, but it's going to be video. And that's, that's step one. 
Um, then we have the geospatial data. That, so that, that data for uh, number crunchers is going to be, uh, you know, a fascinating effort to see all the patterns that are that are inherent within that geospatial set. Um, and then we'll put up all of the open records requests, all of the chain of custody documents, all of the things that we use to inform our process. And I'm confident that that more Americans are going to have more to add to this and, and you know, increasingly have an ever fuller picture of what really happened in 2020. Uh, I think that's I, I'm thrilled, thrilled that you're doing that. And I want to talk a little bit about I mean, you've been an advocate for fair elections, just election integrity, as I said, since before True the Vote was founded, you, you got onto that mission. It seems to me that, I mean, there are plenty of people who are saying, okay, so we have some problems in 2020, and we're really, really sorry about those problems, but let's just move forward and leave 2020 alone. 2020 alone. A lot of people are suspicious anyway. Move forward. Don't sound like a sore, uh, like a sore loser. What's your answer to that? You know, I, I mean, I started True the Vote in, in 2010 um, because we saw problems and, and that's what's kept me on this path of you know, when are we going to deal with the, the real the real problems that, that truly do exist? And why can't we have common sense conversations about things like photo voter identification or or the updating of the technologies around the process of, of elections and why do we why are we watching this process erode and of course in 2020 uh it was it was just a a free-for-all with the the unconstitutional changes that were uh pushed into states so all that to say i've seen this happening for years now we're at a point where where america is awake enough we've got to hang on we if, if we just give up now and say oh well you know Eh, it's over. It's years ago. Do you think it's not going to happen again? What have we done to prevent it? What What have we learned? Um, what are we going to do when when it does occur again? What How can you How can you just roll forward and not in your own way be complicit? So you, you can't move past it. I mean, it, there's there there are there are constitutional boundaries around the election part of that and and what that really means for uh in the, the electoral college and things that govern the the and and decide ultimately the the presidential uh race and the, and the way that that, that all kind of happened um that's 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 aside the issue of process must be addressed or we are doomed to repeat what happened in 2020 there's just no way that we won't um you know those those groups that were pushing for the subversions that occurred in 2020 are moving on. I mean, now they've got lawsuits uh, in uh, many states where they're, they're pushing for the removal of citizenship checks, uh, where they are paying off Americans' uh, voters' uh, medical debt in an effort to curry favor. I mean, these are, they're just pressing on. We've got to wake up. I couldn't agree more. And I'm obviously it was a little bit of a um, devil's advocate question, but this should be, and everyone says it, but this should be of great concern what, wherever your political alliances lie, uh, whoever was your favorite candidate in 2020 or any other time, if the process is entirely rigged and, and or at least vulnerable and, and susceptible to being what you observed and what you created in the, in the Mules film, the, 20, the 2000 Mules, 
then you really don't, aren't having elections at all. You're just having a kind of a national conversation and a bunch of people running around busy activity and making campaign speeches and knocking on doors, and it's all controlled and rigged. It, it makes a farce of our entire system. And so, I, I mean, to me, the capacity to figure out whether the fraud was a sufficient numbers to have impacted the outcome, which your movie made clear it was, you know, we right. need to find a solution to that. What is it you do? And the other point, I want to come back to what is it we do about 2020, but you know, the other point about the idea that already now there's conversation about you know, there might be an, another virus coming along. It's not COVID, but something else. We may have to go to mail-in ballots again for the safety and security of the American people. At least your film ought to be making people just rise up and protest in their own states and say, no, we're not playing that game again. We, we learned this lesson. I mean, that should be the least that people take away from your film. We just, we cannot have a mail-in ballot process that assures integrity. Do you think that's accurate? That's absolutely accurate. And it's, and it's known worldwide. Uh, mail ballots are the least secure way to cast your vote. Um, the fact that we're trying to move towards that begs the question why. We can do better. Why not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, um, I have become a proponent. Just we need paper ballots, day, day of election only. We just we need to not in, indulge or enable all of the uh, factors that played into the past fraud. We, we got to be as tight as we can. So, OK, so your team, I know uh, you said in several interviews you're moving forward, still working. What are your kind of next things you're doing? And uh, you mentioned, oh, by the way, I want to have you talk about IV3. I just heard about that. You're essentially assisting, and you mentioned it, you're just assisting your local election agency to clean the voter rolls. Is that right? It, it, that's correct. So almost every state has a provision that allows for citizens to, if you are a registered voter in, in, in your county, to identify, if you identify a record that does not meet a qualification for um, eligible voting, uh, you can submit that name to your county and then they, as a matter of course, will review the record and de decide whether or not that record needs to be inactivated or the voter notified or whatever. But it's important because there's really no clear standard nationally uh, for how voter rolls are cleaned. It's a kind of a hit and miss and, and it's, it's actually a much broader conversation for, for a whole nother show. Uh, the, the services that are used by the states that, that are also politically compromised um, yeah. You know, so so there's there's um, there's a lot of reasons for citizens to get eyes on what's happening with their roles. It is a torturously slow process. I mean, the checking of the roles is not. We help pre-sift that and make it easy. But the process of submitting the challenge and having this, this, the county give feedback, uh, that's that's slow. But it's better than not doing anything. And so cleaning the roles is is essential. Waking people up in that process is is maybe even more valuable because once you've seen it it makes you aware of of the frailty of the entire process and there's tremendous value in that so iv3.us is a is a an app that we're looking to we're going to continue to grow and and um add features to but uh, it's a it's a great it's a great way to get eyes on what's happening in your state Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I, I love that you're doing all of this. I think it's tremendous. And I think it actually starting, this is one conversation, but it's starting millions of conversations around the country by people who really just thought our system's pretty secure. You always have a little bit of fraud here and there. 
But this is really making the point, your film alone, that this actually had the very easy, but easily, uh, the amount of fraud exceeded the uh, margin of victory that the Biden team claimed. And, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, it's just, you don't need a whole lot of fraud. You just need a little in the right places. And, and there's enough there's enough gray area in our process. There are enough loopholes and wormholes and trap doors that, that those that know how to subvert and exploit those weaknesses uh, can do it all day. Absolutely. And you actually didn't, I guess, realize you were describing for your organization, True the Vote, you engage in, you file lawsuits, you engage in litigation in, in various states that relates to election fraud. Do you have anything going on in Texas? We don't have, the only lawsuit we have right now in play on this front is um, we did a, a massive uh, project in Georgia where in, in December of 2020, we helped uh, volunteer from across the state who did the, who participated in the challenge process that I described. Their roles hadn't been cleaned in two years. And so we did a, an evaluation and uh, there were over 364,000 ineligible records. So we, uh, we, we recruited volunteers, filed all these challenges. And long and the short of it is three days after we filed those challenges, um, Mark Elias and Stacey Abrams engaged with Fair, their organization Fair Fight and sued us. Uh, so we are right now, that's, that's our only litigation, but it's, uh, you know, it's um, pretty intense. Uh, over the years, we have absolutely continued to step into the gap for uh, states that are being um, targeted for, you know, all manner of things. Uh, the DOJ now coming after states that are trying to clean their roles. So we, we're, you know, we're ever on guard and we've, uh, it's, it's just necessary. It's a necessary part. Love that. One last thing. We do have the opportunity for people in the audience to ask questions. Um, and I want to get my one more question in while he's there passing the microphone around. Uh, but that was just thought, you know, when you and I and others who love America, we love the system, we want it, we want consent of the governed to mean that, we want clean elections. When you hear these kind of stories, you really you can do a lot of finger pointing. I mean I can finger pointing who would who would be paid to pick up a ballot and then paid for whatever it was, $5 a ballot or something, that that is just purely wrong and whoever orchestrated it. But this is almost like, this is a criminal conspiracy, it, it sounds like. I mean, it's an actual, more than just a few random people thought this would be clever, but it seems to be an organized uh, effort. Is that accurate? And, and how organized that's, is it? That's what it seems to be to us too. And, um, you know, there are, there are, networks of organizations that follow these same patterns. There are um, organizations that have been entrenched in this country since the 40s. There are new organizations that are springing up and, and, and you know, supporting programs like um, a, a popular one now is called Souls to the Polls, where uh, donors will come in and pay churches for every ballot that is brought into the church, the, the church gets so many, so many dollars. And it, it just, it just undermines the, the integrity of the process. If you're just attaching the dollar bill to bring that ballot in and, you know, all that, all that goes along with that. Um, I think one of the most heartbreaking things though, that we learned in this, in this effort was that the people that are being used to carry these ballots for the most part, think it's maybe a little wrong, but they, they really don't understand 
that this is undermined. I mean, that these are felonies, that this is undermining an, an entire and destabilizing, you know, their very way of life. Um, it is, it is, uh, it's, it's just such a part of certain communities that it's, it's just taken for granted that people do this and that's, that's just how it goes. So while the mules are certainly to be held to account, it's the folks that are organizing those mules and paying those mules and knowing full well what they're doing is illegal. Uh, those are the ones that should really be, you know, really be brought to, to justice. Severely prosecuted. Seriously prosecuted. I could right. not agree. Do we have questions in the audience? I didn't see any hands, but I can't oh, really didn't oh. see. Yes, we do. Go ahead. Um, when I was the early part of the movie, when the you talked about you and Dinesh talked about the parameters and the way that you looked at the people that visited the mailboxes and that had also stopped at a nonprofit, did you already have? I didn't really get that at first till later in the movie, but mm -hmm. did you already have in mind nonprofits that you were going to look at? That's, that's a great question. So we had had um, uh, in a couple of states, well, in three states, actually, of our five, we had had um, informants, whistleblowers, um, keen observers, let's call them, who, who made some recommendations about, hey, just, you know, check out these organizations. Um, and, and really, that's just a, you know, that's just another data point. Um, that's kind of one of the ways that we started. But then as you begin to fine-tune those patterns, you start to see other nexuses around other organizations. And so that's kind of how that group came together. Um, again, I just want to stress, in no way are we saying that every organization that we've identified um, is it represents the, the, sum and, the sum total of those that might have been involved. All we are saying is the pattern for these individual devices going to and from these organizations and drop boxes was apparent, was rampant, and should be investigated. Awareness, which, wow, the movie really does. But isn't another goal that some of these that you have identified will ultimately be prosecuted, right? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, if, if in the hands of law enforcement, where they can actually uh, help to run down the, the money trails and help to connect dots that we just don't have access to. That's that's the, the role of, 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 of law enforcement. They need to now take this from a small nonprofit organization like Through the Vote and do their jobs. There's more than probable cause. There's certainly the will of the people behind them. Just take a look and see what you find. Well, what you did was just brilliant. Uh, I don't know how Thank anyone you. could ever even yeah. have dreamed of it. <laughs> This audience is very happy with what you did. Well, Catherine Engelbeck, I want to make one more pitch for people. Uh, they can go to, uh, first off, if people have not seen the film, they need to see the film. And actually, how can you see it now? I, we, we went to the premiere of the first night, but how can you see the film now? You can go to 2000mules.com, and they were going to uh, keep adding updates for the ways in which to see the film. Um, you, one of the ways is you can go to, from, from that website, you can go to Salem Now which is another platform where they are streaming the movie and you can buy uh, DVDs, or you can go to Dinesh D'Souza's um, Locals channel and stream the movie from there. But all of that information is on the 2000mules.com website. 
Okay, so 2000mules.com and your organization, truethevote.org. People can find out more about your organization, all the projects you do, sign up. And really, it's time to get your emails, too, because you do very informative emails. And I think people would love that, too. Uh, Catherine, I so thank you for being available. To, I'd love to have any last message you want to give our listeners, our audience, about you know why you did this and how much it matters to America. Well, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's everything. And... Um, I think my, my, my parting message would be, I know that this is overwhelming and I know it seems maybe sort of, you know, almost a, a, a third party, like you're very surreal. You're just watching this play out and, and, and it's hard to sometimes I think internalize what it really means to you as a voter or to you in your, in your hometown. Um, look, we are all in this together and yes, there are problems, but those problems can be solved. There is nothing that we cannot solve if we if we stick together and work it out. This is not going to be easy. All the easy choices are in the past. Now it is time to engage step by step to, to improve the process from where we are to where we'd like it to be. And this is going to be a national conversation for years. Well, very well said. Very, very true. Catherine Engelberg, thank you so very much. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, in this year, uh, ever since we had the uh, He Who Occupies the White House uh, take office, we have many, many conversations about the uh, damage and harm being inflicted on America by the policies that are now in place. For example, abandoning the southern border. For example, we now have someone on the Supreme Court who can't define the word woman. And she is a woman. And the, the point I was going to say is all of this election fraud, it's not just, dang, we lost, the other guy won. It's all the consequences that flow politically to America if we don't insist on fair elections. So I, I just cannot commend Catherine Engelbrecht to the vote and the movie 2,000 Mules More. I encourage everyone, if you haven't seen it, to please, please do tune into it. Um, I also, as we close out our show for today, want to invite you to join us next week, next Thursday. Uh, we have Brigadier General Spall. Who happens to be in Dallas next week, along with Frank Gaffney. The two, those two men are going to be here talking about the threat that China poses to America and what we intelligent citizens who love this country can do to understand it and to fight it. It's going to be a great show next week. Put that on your calendar. And for now, I also want to urge you to mark October 15th on your calendar. That's our fall summit this year, October 15th. I'll close out by saying thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll see you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can